think it's interesting that we are in First Thessalonians as we hit the Lord's Supper here. And uh, I want to get right in the message and, and not spend a whole lot of time on it because I want to give you time, precious time, to just really, to really think about this opportunity we have in the church. There are two historically, traditionally official ordinances that the local New Testament church have, have been given. And uh, one of them is baptism. And we got to see that on Sunday. The, the, the authority of a local church baptizing a convert, a new person, a believer, someone of the way or a born-again Christian into the assembled body, this particular assembled body of believers. We do not believe in a universal church as some teach. We believe in independent local churches. And thank God we get to be a part of that. And so that's one of them. And the other one is, of course, the ability to participate in the Lord's Supper. What a blessing it is to be a part of that. As I was studying this, I was thinking about this and preparing for this message just, just a few, in the last week or so, just meditating on it. Interestingly enough, in the last few days, I've been asked by people, one of them even this morning asked me a good question about how do you deal with someone of another cult? You know, in this particular case, it was Mormonism. Uh, we get asked, I get asked questions like that from time to time. And, and you know, there's obviously, there's many, many different ways that you can combat that. I have studied many of the other religions of this world. I have studied what they believe. But really what it boils down to, you don't have to become super knowledgeable about what they believe. In fact, many times, a basic knowledge of other religions, you'll probably outdo most of the believers of that religion. It's pretty sad that I've actually educated people in their own religion, and they say, no, we don't believe that. Look it up. Yes, you do. I've read your statement of faith. And they go back, and it's like, oh, wow, I didn't even know we believed that, you know. But really what it boils down to, all you have to do is ask them or pinpoint them or just nail them down and say, where, what is your stance or what is your belief on Jesus Christ? He is, he is the issue. He is the main, main cog of everything. He's, he is the, he's, he's, he's the gel of everything that, that holds it all together or sometimes blows it all apart. God is a generic term sometimes. God is a general term sometimes. God can sometimes become an umbrella of many, many, many different factions and sects and groups and, and cults and religions and ideas and so on, philosophies. But then you bring in Jesus Christ and things get become, it's different, very different. I, all you have to do is look at America, right? I mean, even people that, that deny Christ will have no problem saying God bless America and even sometimes... I mean, as much as our country's gone far away, I still can't believe that when you pick up, a, pick up money, it still says in there, in God we trust. It still says it on our, on our money right now. In 2024, as far gone as our country's gone, it seems like there hasn't been much of a stink put up for that in God we trust, right? And there's even states that have it on their license plates. But then when you bring in Jesus Christ, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. So I want us tonight to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And tonight we're going to read the whole chapter together. And I want you to follow with me because the chapter ends something very profound that I'd like to share with you this evening based on that introduction. So if you, tonight, if you're sitting there and you say, I believe in God. If you're watching online, you say, I believe in God. Fine. Let's just say for the sake of argument, I believe in a God. There's agnostics out there. There's people out there that aren't quite atheists, but they'll still believe something, somebody, an entity up there did create everything. So they'll, they'll acknowledge some form or presence of God. 
So let's say that. We believe in God. Let's establish that tonight. And I want to show you something that will really encourage you tonight from this chapter and what a blessing it is. Look at verse 1. Paul and Silvanus, Timotheus, and to the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. So we've seen God and Jesus Christ already appear several times. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. It's amazing that as Paul writes this epistle to the church of Thessalonica, he's just peppering them with God, Jesus Christ, Holy Ghost. God, Jesus Christ, Holy Ghost. Verse number five, six, I'm sorry. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out this word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering them he had unto you. Watch this now. And how ye turned to God, these are the people of Thessalonica, from idols to serve the living and true God. So there was a turning. They turned. Now, maybe we that are in this building tonight, or maybe you've watched it online, did not necessarily turn from the idols by definition in this context here. But in order for you to be saved tonight, there had to be some kind of a turning. I had to turn away from the trust I had in those baptisms. I had to turn away in the faith I had put in what some man had said to me. And I had to turn to the truth and acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Savior, right? So the Bible does make that clear in that. Now watch verse number 10. Now, so we've established God. Let's read verse 9 again slowly. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God. All right, I'm going to read it slowly. Stay with me now. From idols to serve the living and true God. So we're establishing that this is the living and true God. This is that entity. This is that mysterious being that people still talk about. He's a living and true God. There's no period there, so it's a continued thought. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he, who is he in that verse now? God, that's correct. Whom he, God, who is God? The living and true God. This is the God by definition now, okay? Whom he, whoa, what are the next few words? Raise from the dead. Even who? Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. You say, well, what's so significant about that? All right, this, this is, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Going back to the introductory statements tonight, how Jesus Christ and his activities separate him from all the religions of the world. Now, could Jesus or could he not raise people from the dead while he was here on earth? Did Jesus raise people from the dead while he was on earth? Correct. But in several instances in the epistles and other parts of the Bible, you will see that the Bible actually says, in the book of Acts 2, says that God raised him from the dead. And we just read that. Now, we, of course, talk about the resurrection and how he is risen. And, and don't get spooked out yet. We're going somewhere with this. God raised his son from the dead. 
Jesus was able to raise others from the dead. Now, does this mean that Jesus was not able to resurrect himself from the dead or raise himself from the dead? Absolutely not. That's not what this means. That's not what he's teaching. And some argue that. Some say, see, Jesus was still living in his power, which is, again, why you ask people about Jesus Christ. Here's what many other religions and false cults will say. They will say, well, Jesus is a God. Jesus is second place to the God. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness translation, John 1.1, 1, 1, 1, two small differences between what our verse says. Our verse says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Theirs says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a lowercase g-o-d. So they immediately demoted Jesus Christ and deity compared to the God. Hence, they're called the Jehovah's Witnesses. God, Jehovah's Witness. I'm not, I'm not here to attack other religions. I'm here to promote Jesus Christ tonight. All right? I'm stating facts to you. I've read this. I memorized that verse on purpose and have quoted it to many of them through the years and, and used that to, to have a, a good, healthy discussion about this subject. Why is this so significant? Why is this so significant? Haven't there been many fantastic, fabulous, intellectual leaders of religious down through the ages according to mankind? According to mankind? Aren't there leaders that have enshrined the tombs? Aren't there leaders that have stood before multitudes and spoken? Aren't there leaders that have, that have literally caused countries, countries to go to war in their name? And still to this day, there's a prophet who many, many of that particular religion named their sons and men after Muhammad, who is, who is a man that, that has influenced billions of people. And yet, don't miss this truth, when God, the living and true God, chose to resurrect one person from the dead, he chose Jesus. Did not God have the power to resurrect Muhammad or Buddha, Joseph Smith? Name whatever religious leaders there are. But the Bible makes it very clear that God rose Jesus from the dead. Why is this so significant? Because Jesus Christ had earned the right to do that. We preached that on Philippians chapter 2 this past Sunday morning, that he was, was obedient even to the death of the cross. And because of that, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All power is given unto me. Jesus does not say that pre-crucifixion. He says that post-crucifixion. He says that post-resurrection. Why? Because God chose to resurrect Jesus. And it was very easy for God to do that because Jesus was not being held down by sin. Muhammad was a sinner. Buddha was a sinner. Joseph Smith was a sinner. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. Every single pope was and is a sinner. Every priest is a sinner. Every single Lutheran, Methodist, Assembly of God, Pentecostal, you name it, is a sinner. Every Buddhist monk is a sinner. Every single person that has ever taken breath is a sinner. Even pre-birth, we were conceived in sin, the Bible says. Everybody is a sinner except for one name, one person, one man, and his name is Jesus Christ. So there is some profound truth, some profound hope, some profound joy in the separation of this idea 
that God, the living and true God, the God that people acknowledge, the God that people give credence to, the God that people speak of, that God only raised one person from the dead. And that was Jesus Christ. Wow. So it's not so much that Jesus Christ could not resurrect himself from the dead, because technically if you argue about it, God is Jesus and Jesus is God. All right, we get that. But in this particular verse, you see a powerful truth being presented that the living and true God resurrected the living and true Savior from the dead. And 2,000 years later, the living and true God is sitting on his throne, and the living and true Savior is seated beside him, and the living and true Holy Ghost is here on earth helping us in our relationship to Christ and God the Father and tonight, as we observe the Lord's Supper, we know that that living and true Savior died a cruel death and shed his blood for you and me. And yet three days later, the God of this universe, he lets every single other human being lie in his grave, corrupting, dying, fading away. But three days later, Jesus came out. There's no argument, there's no debate. You see, people continue to make up claims and falsities that Jesus Christ's body has been discovered and, and they've searched and archaeologists have dug through the dirts and remains and they've said things and they've printed books and they've printed articles and yet to this day in 2024, I give you good, good news, they have never found the body of Jesus Christ. Because God... The living and true God chose him. He resurrected his son. And 2,000 years later, he lives. He lives. And why is that so significant? Because it completed everything that we needed that required for us to have the just salvation that God gave to us. Several weeks ago, I did a Zoom for deaf people all across the country on a Saturday evening. I did it two weeks in a row. In fact, they, they want to have another one in a couple Saturdays. The deaf are so hungry. Pray for them right now. But one of the deaf people got so excited about it that she told her brother, who's a hearing man, who doesn't know much sign language, speaks fluent Spanish though, speaks English. He called me last night. We spoke for 20 minutes and I got to witness to him and give him the gospel over the phone while he was in Utah. And he's, he's, supposed, to, he's supposed to call me tonight, Lord willing, and he should be getting saved sometime today, yesterday, today. He's supposed to let me know. He wants a spiritual birth and he wants to be born again. Once again, as I told the story, knowing what I was going to preach tonight, what other story is there to tell that matches the story of Jesus Christ? What other testimony is as powerful as the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So as we gather tonight, in just a few moments and observe the Lord's Supper, realize that all of this was orchestrated by the living and true God and planned by the living and true God. And this living and true God had complete confidence in his son that when he became human being, human flesh, and he was tempted in all points like as we are, and he stared down the devil in the face, and he faced the temptations, and he knew what it was like to cry, and he knew what it was like to hurt, and he knew what it was like to be rejected, and he knew what it was like to go through ups and downs and sufferings of life, and he knew all that, and finally have his own people 
<coughs> reject him, and then his own disciples forsake him. That Jesus Christ qualified as the sacrificial lamb of all sacrificial lambs, and he died for you and me. And he shed his own personal blood for you and me. And he laid in a tomb for three days, physically speaking, so that three days later a miracle could take place. And God would choose him above every other human being of all the billions of people that have walked on this planet, knowing that his son finished the job, finished the task, finished his course, finished his mission, and he resurrected him from the dead. He lives today. He was crucified, but he is risen. What a blessing. That's the living and true God we serve today. Had your bad eyes are closed. Thank you for listening so well tonight.
still there.